And I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Our scripture lesson today, first part comes from the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 3, very familiar reading from the third chapter. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Hold on just a moment right there. I'm reminded of a Methodist bishop who was asked one time, can Methodists dance? And he said, well, some can and some can't. <laughs> but when blue faith plays, it's hard not to feel like dancing. Back to the scripture. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then over in the New Testament, Chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, just this one verse from Jesus. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us be, be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, here we are on the first Sunday of 2021. And even though... The Christmas season does not officially close until January 5th. Most of our Christmas services and celebrations are over. And I suspect that most of us have taken down the Christmas tree, placed it out on the curb, or perhaps thrown it into our favorite fishing pond. And then the ornaments, the lights, have been returned to the attic. And I suspect that some of us stayed up late on New Year's Eve and joined the, the masses by television to watch that time ball fall in Times Square. If you have had a chance to reflect at all on this past year, you know it was a very, very tough year. COVID-19 and racial strife and polarized politics have taken a toll on all of us. And some of us are so worn out that we haven't had a chance to give much thought 
to the new year except to hope and pray that 2021 will be better than 2020. Part of our fatigue comes from overscheduling and spending too much time in the hurry-up lane of life. Now here I'm really preaching to the preacher because I am a genuine obsessive-compulsive type driven by an internal taskmaster to attempt more than is reasonable. Thankfully, I am in recovery because of the Holy Spirit and my wife. But still, I have flashbacks of my old malady. Now, I'm not sure, but I think there's some other obsessive-compulsive types in Mount Horeb Church. I suspect. In fact, I'm pretty sure. Are you one of those? Do you belong to the Obsessive Compulsive Association? That's the OCA. I'm going to ask a couple of questions that if you answer them honestly, it'll help to determine whether you are or not. If a traffic light turns green and the driver in front of you waits three seconds to move out, do you toot the horn? That's a sure sign. An OCA member's two worst nightmares. First, a terrorist attack. The second one, getting caught in a three-mile-long backup on I-20. Yes. An OCA member's favorite two inventions, texting, email. That way he or she can send messages 24 hours a day to anybody. An OCA member always drives at least 10 miles per hour over the speed limit and when he passes somebody driving right at the speed limit he mumbles come on slowpoke drive it or park it the OCA national anthem was recorded years ago by the singing group Alabama and it has this refrain I'm in a hurry to get things done I rush and rush until life's no fun all I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Jesus would have never qualified for OCA. Though he had just three years to save the world, he never hurried anywhere. Check your Bible. You'll never find an instance where it says that Jesus rushed or hurried. He prayed a lot. He found time to play with children. He investigated a fig tree one day. He took a nap during a boat ride. He took the time to rest beside a well at noontime. He accepted dinner invitations. He attended a wedding reception. And he walked almost everywhere he went. The Bible does not say, if you hurry up, you'll catch up with God. It does say, be still and know that I am God. Jesus did not say, if you join my team, I'll work you 18 hours a day. No, what Jesus did say was, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus also said, I have come that you might have life 
and have it more abundantly. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus, said there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. That includes birth and death. That includes weeping and laughing. That includes speaking and being silent. There is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Each experience or activity is appropriate at the right time. But you may think, wait a minute, preacher. Is there ever a right time for hating? King Solomon said yes. We should never hate people, but we should hate what people do, including what we do. We should hate the sin, but love the sinner. St. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, hate what is evil. Well, what about war, you might think? Is there ever a right time for war? King Solomon says yes. Though all wars are tragic, sometimes a war is the lesser of two evils. Such an example was World War II against Nazi Germany. In this sinful world, freedom would not survive if it were not defended with force. The Bible is such an eminently practical book. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 13, states that rulers, even bad ones, are instituted by God. Though some elected officials may grieve God's heart, and I will not name names here, rulers are instituted by God to protect us from chaos. You see, because there is sin in this world, the authorities or rulers are empowered to use force. As St. Paul said concerning the ruler, he does not bear the sword for nothing. And here you have the rationale for police and for the military. Solomon's main message is there's a time for everything. God in his grace has given everybody, presidents and paupers, royalty and rascals, the same amount of time, 24 hours per day. The quality, the joy, the impact of our lives will depend directly on how wisely we use the time we have. How then can we live faithfully and fruitfully, but not frantically, in this new year. Three key words will guide us in the biblical use of time. And each of these words starts with the letter P. So we ought to be able to remember them. Purpose, priority, and plan. First, in order to manage time well, we must know our purpose. Occasionally, my wife or I will walk into a room at home, look around and say, I've forgotten what I came here after. Now, I know you've never done that. Those lapses in memory are normal, and they become more frequent as we get older. It's okay to forget why you come into a room at home. But it's vitally important to remember 
why you came into this world. It was Mark Twain who gave us this famous statement, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. In other words, that second most important day is when you discover your purpose for coming into this world. Now, St. Paul described our purpose in his letter to the Ephesians. He wrote, In love he, God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. This means that our purpose on earth is to discover our identity as children of God and to be a blessing to others in his name. That's our general purpose. And that's the purpose of every human being. To discover our identity as children of God and to be a blessing to others in his name. Uh, Jesus summarized our purpose when he was asked what are the greatest commandments. And he gave us the two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Many Americans do not agree that that's our primary purpose on earth. No. Many Americans believe that our main purpose is to be happy and successful, to grab for all the gusto we can. But we Christians know that we are here on earth for more than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, though those are very important things. Our purpose is to discover our true identity as children of God and to be a blessing to others in his name. Now, that's our general purpose. But in addition, each of us has a specific purpose or mission. And your specific purpose or mission will utilize at least one of your spiritual gifts. You see, when, when we claim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he activates our spiritual gifts. All of us Christians have at least one spiritual gift. St. Paul wrote this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Do you know at least one of your spiritual gifts? There's an endless variety. It could be healing or teaching or leadership or service, or encouragement, or many others. For example, Melody. It's obvious what a couple of her spiritual gifts are. Leading in worship and using her beautiful voice to give God praise. But do you know at least one of your spiritual gifts? And if you don't, ask one of our staff persons here at Mount Horb to help you because there are tests you can take, even online, that will help you identify your spiritual gifts. And then you will understand better God's specific purpose for your life. Once we know our purpose, then we're ready for the second key to using time the biblical way. That word is priority, which means knowing which things are most important. Jesus was talking about priority when he said, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That means to put God first in every significant part of your life. 
And in our daily prayers, we should ask, Lord, what are the activities you want me to highlight today? When our priorities are not healthy and clear, we end up attempting more than we should and not doing anything really well. And that causes stress. But setting priorities is tough. Because to do so, you got to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the best things. Charles M. Schwab was one of the great industrialists in American history. He was the founder of Bethlehem Steel Corporation. Charles Schwab credits his success to one piece of advice given to him by a consultant named Ivy Lee. Mr. Lee told Mr. Schwab, every evening, write down the most important thing for you to do the following day, and on that next day, work on that thing before you do anything else. Mr. Schwab was so grateful for that advice that back in 1918, he wrote a check for $25,000 and gave it to Mr. Lee. Now, in today's money, that's about $450,000. All Ivy Lee told Mr. Schwab was just a word about priority, priority. Some years ago, I participated in a panel discussion at a hospital. The subject was healing. There were about 100 doctors and nurses there. And we discussed how important it was to really listen to patients and if given permission, to pray with them. But then somebody stood up and said, folks, let's be realistic. We don't have time for that. You know all the things we have to do in a limited amount of time. We don't have time for that. And there were a lot of heads nodding in agreement. And then an elderly physician stood up and he said, folks, if we don't have time to listen to our patients and to pray with them, we need to drop something else so that we will have time. Else we ought to be in another vocation. And he received a spontaneous ovation. All he was talking about was priority. Choosing what is most important. In a former church of mine, there was a judge who for over 25 years, had led a Boy Scout troop. He had spent countless weekends in the woods with his boys on camping trips. He told me that one Saturday morning, his troop was gathering at his house to go on a camping trip, and a physician dropped off his son uh, to be part of that trip, and the physician said to the judge, uh, Judge, uh, I sure would like to go with you one weekend just to help out with the boys. And the judge sort of shocked the doctor with his response. He said, uh, you could if you really wanted to. Well, that offended the doctor. He said, judge, you don't understand the demands on my time. The judge said, oh, yes, I do. You have the same amount of time as everybody else, 24 hours a day. How you fill those hours is a matter of priorities. Yes. I remember a young father in a former church of mine 
who was an excellent golfer, and I invited him to join me for a round of golf one Saturday. I wanted to pick up a few tips from him, as well as have good fellowship. And he said, Pastor, I would love to go with you, but I can't, and I'll tell you why. I have decided for a few years not to play golf on Saturdays. You see, I've got two young preschool children, and Saturday is one of those rare days when the whole family is together. I hate to take five hours out of that day to be away from them. Now, later, when my older daughter becomes old enough to swing a golf club, I might take her with me and go back to the golf course on Saturday. I said, Pastor, I hope you'll understand. I said, not only do I understand, I commend you. I thank you because you've just taught me a lesson about priorities. When King Solomon declared that there's a time for everything, he meant there's a time for every constructive thing, not for those activities that are a waste of time. There's enough time to get off the interstate highway and drive a back road just to explore. There's time to stroll on a beach looking for seashells. There's time to teach a little boy how to fly kites or throw a curveball. There's time to scratch the ears of an old dog. And yes, there's even time to doze in a hammock. But there's not enough time for most TV shows. There's not enough time for reading trashy novels or gambling or pornography. There's not enough time for bad-mouthing your competitors. There's not enough time for aimless surfing of the Internet. And there's not enough time for crying over past mistakes. It's just a matter of establishing priorities. Now, once you know your purpose and you've got your priorities established, then you're ready for the third essential word in using time the biblical way. That word is plan. P-L-A-N. A wise Methodist layman taught me this principle. He who fails to plan, plans to fail. And St. Paul gave similar advice to the Ephesian church when he wrote, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Way back there when I was in college, I was taught a valuable lesson about planning. I was having trouble meeting deadlines getting a term paper in on time, preparing for an examination. I was constantly running out of time. But I had a very wise faculty advisor. And so I went to him with my problem. He gave me 14 sheets of identical paper. Each one had a time slot from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. He challenged me at the end of each day, to fill in that time chart with what I had done with each hour. I thought it was a waste of time, but by the third day, I had already learned the lesson he intended. 
I noticed how many hours I was frittering away. Watching useless television, goofing off, wasting time. I had already learned that if I planned my day wisely, if I took advantage of the time I had, I would, I would be able to get things done. There is much truth in this simple rhyme. Let a daily list guide each day, or time like a ghost will slip away. That's almost biblical. Let a daily list guide your day, or time like a ghost will slip away. Having a daily plan does not mean you got to be frantic. Doesn't, does, does not mean you got to be rushed. Nor does it exclude spontaneity or good interruptions. There's some flex, always some flex in a good plan. It can be changed by emergencies or unexpected opportunities. A healthy plan should include time for rest, recreation, family. And you see, when those activities are part of your plan, you can really enjoy them more. Don't have to feel guilty about them. For example, when a round of golf is part of my plan, I can feel good about it. Whether I feel good afterward depends on how I played. But beforehand, I feel good. Now, except when I'm on vacation, I try to list every evening the most important things I need to do on the following day. God wants our plans to be wise and successful. And the prophet Jeremiah gave us this word from the Lord, a word that many of you, I think, have memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So, we don't have to be like that person described in the Alabama song. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. The cure for the hurry disease is to know your purpose, establish your priorities, and day by day work your plan. It was Benjamin Franklin who coined this famous phrase, never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Now, that may reveal that old Ben was obsessive compulsive. Maybe it would have been a wiser statement for him to have said, never put off until tomorrow what you should do today. Not what you can do, what you should do today. For the past 55 years, believe it or not, there has been a soap opera on NBC television called Days of Our Lives. The musical theme of that program is captivating. And who can possibly forget uh, the way the host, McDonald Carey, used to say, like sand through an hourglass, Yes, like sands through an hourglass, so are the days of our lives. He was right, you know. 
Each grain of sand, like each day, is unique and unrepeatable. Each 24-hour day is a gift from a loving God, and we are stewards of how that day is used. If we know our purpose, establish our priorities, and day-by-day work our plan, we will be excellent managers of God's great gift of time, and we will be able to say with the psalmist, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.